Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugolo, and on this show I speak with entrepreneurs, changemakers, artists, and healers. How they put their dreams into action, and I'm so happy to have on set today Laverne Gordon, who is on a mission to help people end their abusive relationships safely. Welcome, Laverne. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for having me. This is such an important topic. Yeah. You know, this really affects many people's lives. Right. One in every four women, to be exact, and uh, one in every three teens, and one in every seven men. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how did that all happen? Right. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that it's been happening. Mm -hmm. uh, domestic violence uh, is a term that people don't necessarily want to be associated with. Mm -hmm. um, and so you find that uh, victims and even survivors that have gone through it, um, they keep quiet that uh, they've even experienced such a thing. And so really for a very, very, very long time before the, the, the term domestic violence was even coined, uh, it's been happening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is a passion of yours. Yes. You're on a mission and you have a nonprofit organization yeah. that is centered around this. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Love Life Now Foundation has been around for the past six years, going on seven. Uh, it's amazing because that time seems to have flown. But really, um, Love Life Now came about uh, through my own personal experiences with domestic violence. Um, it's something that's been uh, part of me uh, ever as, as far as back as far back as I can imagine um, and so if I may I'll go back to to let folks understand that or, or understand why this is a passion of mine mm -hmm. um, I come from the island of Trinidad and Tobago and I lived there for 15 years with my parents and my siblings and during that time, this is now, I was born in 77, but in the 80s is when I really knew myself. Um, my father brutally abused my mother. Mm -hmm. And when folks think of domestic violence most times, they think of someone being slapped, they think of someone being maybe kicked or verbally abused. Um, my mom um, experienced uh, my father using machetes on her. Um, uh, she also experienced beer bottles being broken and being stabbed with them by my father. And he would not hide to do these things. These were things that he did openly in front of us. Um, and we weren't ever sure when an attack was going to take place, uh, but when we knew it, that it was nearing um, because he would, you know, come home and start a fight for, you know, very, very minuscule reasons mm -hmm. and it would just escalate uh, so fast that we would be you know as kids cowering in fear that um, our mom was going to be badly hurt um, probably killed and um, you know we we just have to sit there and watch it happen um, I can tell you as a child you feel helpless um, because as uh, our father we, we not only feared him because of the type of father he was, very stern and very serious and always about, you know, the, the rigid and rugged stuff, but um, we, we feared him because we knew what he could do to us as well as mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. um, if we disobeyed him. And so, you know, watching this happen and not being able to help your mother, 
you know, the person that is loving and caring for you day in and day out is gut-wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I watched that as a child for 15 years. Uh, my father, uh, back in 1993, decided that it was best that I come out to the States and live with my grandparents to finish high school. He thought that I was, you know, I had an opportunity to, to really flourish uh, my education. And so he um, provided for me to come to the States and I finished high school here um, and went to college here. And, um, you know, I always said to myself that that would never be me. I would never let, I would never let anyone treat me the way my father treated my mother. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, growing up in those types of settings, you say that, but subconsciously you bury the fact that, you know, really deep in your brain, this is what love is. Mm -hmm. I tell folks all the time that um, fathers and, and, and mothers, they are the first point of contact for uh, children that shows them how a man is supposed to treat a woman and vice versa. And subconsciously, I, 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 I had that in my head. And um, my first serious relationship that I got into at the age of 21 um, was this much older man than I at the time. And um, he treated me like a queen <laughs> when we first started dating. And I thought, wow, you know, here I am, I think non-deserving really of this gracious, great treatment that this guy's giving me. And um, about three months into the relationship, uh, he slapped me for the first time. Um, he had come over and uh, called prior to that and wondered why I didn't pick up the phone when I when when I initially when he initially called me. Wondered why I was home at that particular time when I was supposed to be at work. I happened to be sick, um, and just really flipped out. Went from zero to one hundred and slapped me and then stormed out and left. And so I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, well, what did I do to deserve that? And almost immediately started thinking, well, maybe I should have called him. Well, maybe um, I should have paid attention to the fact that we didn't talk that morning prior, which is one of the huge red flags that I chose to ignore. He would call me about five to six times before I even got to work. And so that fact that we hadn't talked and I hadn't touched base with him and he found me at home um, was a, a, a very disconcerting thing to him and a red flag that I chose to ignore. And so he stormed out and he left and I was in tears and I'm saying to myself, you know what, I'm done. Um, you know, it's only three months into this relationship. There's no way that I'm going to stick around for whatever else he has coming um, because if he can act like this now, what, what else is there? I went away for the weekend. I was scheduled to go on a, a, a bus shopping trip. I don't know if you remember those bus shopping trips where you hopped down, down in Chinatown um, and went to New York, mm -hmm. and then you shopped till you drop and you got back <laughs> on the bus that evening. So I went on this particular trip because it was my birthday that was nearing, and I promised myself that I was going to do that, and um, you know, left my brother to room sit my, my room, because at the time now, my, my mom thankfully was let go by my father. Mm -hmm. He allowed her to come to the States mm -hmm. because my grandparents, as I said, lived here. And uh, now she and my two younger siblings were here in the same house. So I left my brother in that particular room and um, 
to room sit my bedroom and I came back and he met me at the door and he said he's been here looking for you I said really I said what did he want he said he left something for you I said what he said go in I went in and it was back then I didn't know that purple was the awareness color for domestic violence and it was my favorite color and he left me two dozen purple roses with a card that said I miss you I love you I'm thinking about you I'm worried call me and he signed his name and uh, I turned on my phone again back then they had those prepaid cell phones that you mm -hmm. had nights and weekends free <laughs> after seven and um, you know I turned on my phone because I tried to preserve my minutes and I had a slew of messages from him and um, all of them very worried about me that I hadn't called him all weekend and he was sorry and between the roses and the card and the messages I said to myself, well, immediately comparing myself to my mother, well, my father never apologized like this. Mm -hmm. Maybe he does mean it. Mm -hmm. Maybe he is really and truly sorry. And it was just a slap. Right. Right? So um, I called him back. And that is just how easy it is to fall into these types of relationships. People think, well, that would never be me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I can tell you, it could be you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I shortly thereafter moved out of my grandparents' home and was living with my mother and my two younger siblings in our, in our own apartment. I was going to Suffolk University at nights. I was working a full-time job. And for all intent and purposes, I didn't have to depend or, you know, need mm -hmm. a significant other. But I f after that first incident, incident by the time the second incident happened, um, it was because I again immediately took myself back to say, well, maybe I shouldn't have been looking in the direction of this guy that he said I was looking at and I invited his attention. Maybe I, I, I shouldn't wear short, short skirts that he doesn't like me to wear when he's not around. Well, maybe I should be letting him hear my conversations if we're in a trusting relationship. Maybe I shouldn't be talking to my guy friends because it's, it's him and I and that's, that may be too disrespectful to talk to guys when he's anywhere in the vicinity. Maybe I shouldn't be telling what happens between us two, you know, my family members because they don't understand when we make up. All of these things, just as easy as one, two, three, got me slipped in deeper and deeper into this abusive what turned out to be two-year relationship until I got to my breaking point and this was a particular night that now I'm living in my own apartment and um, and it doesn't matter how far on it is for many survivors the minute you take yourself back to those moments it, it's it's a reliving of mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's not scared tears or sad tears this is continuous growth as a survivor mm -hmm. and it's like that for many people the particular night that I reached my breaking point, 
he had come in looking to start an argument. And he started rummaging through things in the apartment. And he's saying things like, who was here? I know someone was here because that jealousy was that, that paranoid behavior was typical when something was going to start. And so who was here? I know someone was here. I said, nobody was here. I've been waiting for you. And he said, I know you're playing me for a fool. There's no way that you could be this good to me. And so he's rummaging through, and there were some books that I had moved with over the course of the years. One of the books was Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillan. Yeah. My aunt had given me um, that particular book when I first moved here. And so I'd read it cover to cover with, along with many other novels that I loved. And in that book was a picture of myself and my quote unquote long distance love <laughs> that I had moved uh, when I moved, we were still dating. Oh, two weeks later, that ended. <laughs> Don't ever do long-distance relationships. And so um, this particular book had a picture of him and I sitting on the beach in Trinidad, sort of on the sand and on, you know, hugged up. And so he's rummaging through these books, and he finds this particular picture um, of him and I. And he picked up the picture, and I had forgotten about said picture, and he looked at it, and he got very, very red in the face. It was the reddest I'd ever seen him and the angriest. And throughout our relationship, he would um, slap and hit and choke and, you know, but he'd never reach for a weapon. And this particular night, he went into the kitchen and he said, I'm going to kill you because you've been playing me for a fool. And he brought back a knife from the kitchen and he straddled me on the daybed that I had in the apartment. And so he's now he's over me, and he has one hand on my chest and the other hand with the knife up against my neck. And he started pressing and saying, I could slice your throat and leave you here dead and nobody would find you. And you know what, he was right. Because by that time, I had isolated myself from my family friends. All I knew was going to work and coming home. If he wasn't there, I would wait for him. And so it's a Saturday afternoon. People are out and about running their errands and I'm on the third floor of this apartment and I'm saying to myself, I'm dead. And he's pressing the knife and he's spitting in my face and he's yelling every profanity under the sun and then he gets up off of me and he paces and he yells and he comes back on top of me and he presses the knife again this started at about nine o'clock the night before and it didn't end till two o'clock the next morning on and off on and off torture 
slapping, kicking, punching, dragging. And so at about 2 o'clock that next morning, he just stopped. And he laid down in my bed like nothing had ever happened and fell asleep. And at that time, I'm saying to myself, where am I going to run? I have a studio apartment. There's not many places that I can hide or run fast enough that he wouldn't catch me if I tried. So at about 4 o'clock that morning, I felt the sharpest pain I'd ever felt. Any other blow that he had hit me, I'd sort of become numb to. This particular morning, this pain felt like it, there was a dagger sort of trying to pierce through my abdomen. And I said, Laverne, you have two choices. You can lay here and die because I could be bleeding internally or something could be broken or you can get yourself to the hospital. I thankfully lived about five blocks from Carney Hospital, five or six blocks, I'm not sure, um, maybe more. And I got up quietly. And I put on a pair of jeans and a top, and I crept as easy as I could out of that apartment and went downstairs. The building that I lived in um, was directly next to a train station, Ashmont train station. And so I got into the cab, and um, I told the driver to take me to Kearney. And at the lights, which is uh, the only set of lights between the building and the hospital, he pulled up next to the cab, the cab and he started yelling, get out. Get out or I'm going to kill you. And I told the cab driver, I said, please, whatever you do, do not open this door. Run the red light if you have to because that's my ex-boyfriend. He's mad and he's going to kill me if I get out of the car. And so he listened and he sped through the red light. And as soon as he saw that I was pulling into Kearney Hospital, he sped away. Because for the first time, he knew or thought that I was going to speak up. Abusers prey on you staying silent. Mm -hmm. They pray that you don't say anything because that means they get to maintain that power and control yes. over you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, getting to the hospital was, I didn't look at it as, oh my God, this is over. I looked at it as, oh my God, I hope he stops now. Mm -hmm. Because even though I knew that I was done and that the relationship per se was over, I really just wanted the abuse to stop, yeah. right? And so um, the doctor finally saw me and he said, um, who did this to you? And I said, what do you mean who did this to you? He said, these injuries aren't consistent with um, you falling in the shower, as the nurses said that you mentioned. He said, I can get you help. And to me, Linda, help meant going to a shelter. Help meant that me getting into a shelter with a bunch of women that I didn't know, with a bunch of big, you know, beds, was not for me. Help meant the police getting involved. Help meant that he was going to get in trouble. Again, I didn't want that. I just wanted it to stop. 
help meant that my school could potentially find out. Oh, the embarrassment. Help meant that my family would now, you know, possibly know what was really going on with me. Oh, the shame. Oh, the blame. I pictured people saying to me, oh, how could you let this happen, knowing what your mother went through? I pictured people saying, that would never be me. Why are you going through this? Why are you letting yourself go through this? I don't want any of that. So I told him I fell in the shower. I said, I just really want to, want to go home. And he said, well, thankfully, what you have are contusions of the abdomen and the upper hip area, which meant that he punched so hard that the, the, the inner flesh was swollen and bruised based on the x-rays. And it can be treated with ice and pain medicine. Many women aren't that lucky. And you think, I, at least I thought to myself, that would be it. But <laughs> he realized that I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. There was no heat, no drama coming his way. No police were knocking on his door. No big, big brothers are coming to, you know, manhandle him. Mm -hmm. None of that. So he called two weeks later as if nothing had happened. And therein started the stalking. He showed up to my apartment two more times. And I finally decided to get a restraining order, which thankfully he adhered to and disappeared into the wind. But <sighs> many women are not that lucky. Right, right. So you think that you've got now, mm -hmm. I'm done with this person, but then there's potential stalking. And then there's PTSD that we as survivors live with. That's right. That's right. So for other people who may be in this kind of situation, mm -hmm. what do you recommend? How do you Gosh. safely get away? Gosh. What um, are the five things they can do? A, realizing that you've come to your breaking point. Because I tell folks all the time that it doesn't matter how many times you tell a victim you should leave, you have to leave. If they aren't willing to m realize that it's them or them <laughs> or they or them, you can talk to your blue in the face. But realizing that you have to get, you ha you've gotten to your breaking point, you've had enough, and that this isn't a life for you and or your kids, and that what they're witnessing could more than likely affect them in the long run, one way or the other. The same way it did for the you. The same way it did for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to your breaking point, reaching out for resources. In Massachusetts, there is a statewide agency um, called uh, SafeLink. SafeLink is run by Casa Myrna, which is the domestic violence hotline. Uh, I'm sorry, they run a domestic violence shelter and agency here in Boston. But they run the statewide domestic violence hotline called SafeLink. And SafeLink, um, has a plethora of resources throughout the state of agencies that can help you exit relationships like this safely. Now one of the things that you had said is help for you meant mm -hmm. a shelter, help mm -hmm. for you meant police or mm -hmm. the family response. Like These are all things that you should not fear. Okay, they are all here to help you. Shelters mm -hmm. uh, have these big old myths 
that like I had mm -hmm. centered around them. Domestic violence shelters are set up mostly like home situations. So there's shared living spaces like a kitchen, living room, um, uh, play spaces for children, um, and usually only house a certain amount of people. So not this big open space that I, as mm -hmm. I had thought, mm -hmm. but really a home, um, safe, away, far away situation, uh, place that you can go to to really digress from everything that you've experienced. Mm -hmm. they, all these agencies have uh, counseling, uh, law advocacy, um, advocates that walk you through each process. So what happens is when you call SafeLink, you're then directed to an agency in your area. The agency in your area then assigns you an advocate. And the advocate then walks you through each step, safety planning, uh, law advocacy, how to file a restraining order, counseling, um, which is so critical for, for victims and survivors. Yeah, yes. So it doesn't, even if you, you, you know, you've left and you've left on your own as I did, um, and you feel like, okay, I, I'm, I'm okay, counseling never hurts. Um, so I, I urge folks to call and figure out what options could be available for them. Right. Um, even now, uh, it's therapeutic for me to talk uh, to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to as you saw, and yeah. and um, and I and I hope folks understand that mm -hmm. that you know years later this affects you in ways that you just could not imagine, mm -hmm. um, and it's helpful to release that if yes. not to family members or friends to someone like a counselor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, or on TV. Or on TV, <laughs> <laughs> Facebook Live. <laughs> yeah, so we only have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you if someone is witness mm -hmm. to this, because it may not be in your own life, but you may see someone else, how can they help? Yeah, um, so two things that, as it relates to witnesses. Um, it's hard when you're on the outside looking in. Um, and, and it's, I think, the easiest thing to say to someone that may be going through this is, why don't you just leave? That, unfortunately, doesn't help survivors um, or victims, I should say. Um, give them information that they can use once they've gotten to their breaking point. Get educated yourself about you know, how domestic violence affects someone and, and, and what resources might be in your area. Say, listen. I know uh, you may be going through something right now, obviously you're getting into specifics or not, just being very vague about it, but here's a number for you to call um, once you're ready to leave. They can help you. This is what they offer. Doing that alone arms them, for mm -hmm. lack of a better term, arms them with information that mm -hmm. they can use once mm -hmm. they've decided, you know, it may be two o'clock in the morning and they're not necessarily willing right. to call police, right. um, but they can call and talk to someone confidentially about what resources are available right. to them. Now, I have one last question. and um, So I noticed on your website, yeah. and I'll ask you for the link for that in a minute, Sure. you have a list of questions to ask yourself. Yeah. Are you in an abusive relationship? Correct. Does that help people to see those? Yes. So I be able to identify. To identify, right. This, this is, I mean, uh, him checking my phone constantly. I, for me, I thought that was love. 
I thought that he is seriously concerned about my well-being. Right. Not realizing this is a controlling red flag. Asking where you are all the where time. All putting the down time. your friends. Putting down your family. Putting exactly. you down. Exactly. Yes. Repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I will point out that there are different forms of abuse. People think the physical is all that it comes down to when it comes to domestic violence. There is verbal. There is emotional. There is mental. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I would say as much as many survivors would say that the mental and the, the emotional scars last way longer yes. than any physical would. Yes. Um, and so these things stay with you. And so asking yourself these questions and really identifying that this is what's happening with you and really saying to myself, okay, do I, do I really need this in my life? Is this person that? No. And the answer is no, oh. every single time. Yes. Um, I do want to just touch on uh, the fact that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Great. There's going to be a plethora of things. You're probably going to see the NFL sort of highlighting that. Great. Um, but there are so many things happening within the community. Love Life Now exists so that folks can be a part of the solution, ways that they can come out and learn about um, things that they can do as bystanders. I said a, a second thing as it relates to bystanders. You walking down the street, driving in the car, at the grocery store, you witness someone that may be going through an abusive situation. Getting yourself physically involved is never the way, right? Because we don't know what that abuser has on their person. They could hurt you and the victim ends up going home with them with an abuser that's much more mad than before. So we urge folks, if you see something, say something. Get yourself safe and call 911 every single time. You're at a hotel and you hear some rummaging going call on next door, call 911 every single time. That's great That advice. may be the first report that the police have on record for someone that maybe have may have been experiencing this for years, That's but fantastic. too scared to say something. Thanks so, so much. Absolutely. Love Life Now. Lovelifenow.org. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm uh, so honored and, and touched, and I hope that this makes an impact on women's and men's lives. Yes, absolutely, because many are experiencing it. Yes. Thanks so much for coming on to Women Inspired. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and be sure you tune in next week for the next one. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.